Let's open with a word of prayer. Our Father, we are thankful that we can look into your wonderful word. Uh, we're thankful that we can meet uh, the God of love, whose love is from everlasting to everlasting. Help us to see your generous character this morning. Uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to embrace the word made flesh. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to thank you uh, for bearing with me last Sunday. I'm never going to be strange um, or not strange uh, talking to a screen. Uh, anyway, let me uh, quickly review a few things before we get started, uh, especially for those who weren't able to join us last time. So again, we're talking about uh, generosity and the way um, it's laid out for us in scripture. Uh, again, God's generosity must be seen from his self-existent nature. Uh, God is not in need. He is completely and absolutely independent from his creation. Uh, remember that fancy theological term for it, uh, aseity. Uh, God is self-existent and he is self-sufficient. Uh, so this means that God's generosity flows from his complete freedom. He is never externally forced into being generous. He just freely is generous. And we noted that God shows his generosity to his creation. Uh, but especially to those made in his image, uh, which then brought us to consider uh, God's image. Uh, can someone remind us what we looked at last Sunday regarding God's image? No. Build his image in creation. Creation and scripture, I heard, I think. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah, we looked at the way God generously reveals himself to us. Um, and it is those two ways. It, he reveals himself through creation as well as uh, in scripture. Can we mute everyone again, Brett? Thank you. So um, general revelation, remember, uh, the heavens are declaring God's glory. Nature is telling us about God's absolute power and divine nature. Uh, but creation itself is insufficient to tell us more. Uh, that's why we need that other kind of revelation. We need God's personal revelation to us who are made in his image, uh, which we call special revelation. It's when God reveals himself personally to us uh, in scripture. Uh, then I said that scripture gives us this surplus of information as we look uh, at things visible, uh, because scripture allows us to see more from creation uh, when we look at them. So creation communicates more to us uh, 
than it does to those who do not know God. I want to uh, continue looking, looking at God's image this morning, uh, particularly his love and how it relates to generosity. And his, uh, here's the big idea for us, and is this. God in his image is fundamentally generous in his steadfast love for us. Uh, God in his image is fundamentally generous in his steadfast love for us. Well, we don't have to look too far to know that God will generously love us. Uh, God won't love us uh, because we're good enough or that we're successful enough or that people like us enough. Uh, the love of God is not uh, a, mystical, a mystical experience either. We don't have to wait for a feeling to well up deep inside of us to know that God loves us. Uh, everywhere in scripture uh, tells us about God's love for us because Love is in God's very nature. As John famously puts it, anyone who does not love does not know God because love, uh, God is love. God is love. Uh, notice what John doesn't say. He doesn't say that God loves, uh, which is certainly true. But God loves is an action that has to do with activity. No, John says that God is love. That's identity. That's character. God, uh, love is who God is. It's in his very nature to love. Uh, God cannot be unloving. To be unloving would be to give up his own identity. Uh, he would cease to be God the moment he does not love. God cannot but be committed to love us. Not that, he, not that he's coerced into loving us um, because somehow we can earn his love, but he loves us out of his own freedom, out of his own identity, out of his abundant, generous character. I mean, isn't this our greatest hope? Everything that God does is predicated on the, on the fact that he is love. If God is love, then he's not capricious. You don't have to play, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. Uh, because God is never fickle or arbitrary. Uh, let me pause here and reflect on this for a second. Uh, when times are hard, how many of us uh, tend to play that game with God? He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. Uh, listen, you don't need to play that game. Uh, when your heart is telling you that God doesn't love you, where do we need to go? We need to go to the scriptures. Go where God has made himself known because his word tells you that he does love you. He cannot help but to love you because that's who God is. Uh, but as much as this should comfort us, uh, we shouldn't think that God is only love. 
because we can't reduce him as some have done uh, to a mushy kind of lover uh, where God's love becomes irrational. Um, not, not just scandalous, but irrational. That no matter what we do, it doesn't matter. God's going to love us anyways. Well, that's not what's happening when we say that God is love. What happens when God's love is divorced from his other characteristics? When, when it's divorced from his righteousness or his other attributes? You get a distorted view of God? Absolutely. We have a distorted view of God. That's good. We can't see his love when he disciplines us. Have that view. Right. Okay. It's the fact that he's a just God. Yeah. 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 If if God is all love and he's not also righteous he can't be all love right because that's part of it. him being loving to us is that he is just in an unjust way okay so god is love that's his character and his essential identity uh, the next thing we have to consider is the duration of his love Love is his identity, but did God begin to love us? But when did God begin to love us? And will he ever stop loving us? That's a rhetorical question. Uh, I think we all know the answer to these questions. No and no. God's love for us never began, nor will it ever come to an end. That kind of sounds strange to us because we really don't have a category for it has a beginning and an end. Uh, God's love for us did not begin at a point of time. Uh, and for that reason, it will never come to an end in a point of time. Uh, I read this while I was at seminary and it stuck with me. Uh, this is from uh, Gehardus Voss. He said, the best proof that God will never cease to love us lies in that he never began. Right. That's that's mind blowing to me because, um, you know, our love has a beginning and oftentimes it has an end for people. But God's love for us, no beginning and no end. It's infinite. Uh, God's love does not have a beginning or end because it's ultimately not temporal. It's not dependent on time and it's not dependent on circumstances. Uh, why? Because it's based on who he is. And who is God? God is eternal. He himself has no beginning or end. Uh, the Bible tells us, before the mountains were brought forth or ever, you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. 
Uh, that's God's identity. He is eternal. And since God is eternal, so is his love for us. So it's not a matter of uh, temporality, but eternality. Uh, God's love doesn't start then end because it's according to his eternal, unchanging character. Uh, that's the testimony of scripture. Uh, we're in uh, Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah 31. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Uh, I like Psalm 103. Uh, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Uh, beloved, and I mean that when I call you that, if you're in Christ, you are God's beloved. You have always been and always will be God's beloved. From everlasting to everlasting, God loves you. And it's not simply that God loves you from everlasting to everlasting, that his love is eternal, but God's love is inseparable. He promises to never leave you nor forsake you, right? God says to his people in Isaiah, for the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. And we all know what Paul says in Romans 8. Uh, Paul puts it like this. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Okay, so, so God is love. That's who he, who he is. And because he is eternal, his love for us is eternal and unseparable. But here's the thing. We are not eternal. We experience God's love as creatures made in his image. We can't experience it in any other way, right? Because we're not eternal. And if we experience it in any other way, we would cease to be humans, humans bound in time and space. So God has to communicate and dispense his love to us in a way that we can handle in a way we can receive. He has to give it to us on our level. Uh, this means we experience and encounter his love in time and space. There's no other way. Uh, and so I want to revisit the way God makes himself known to us for a second. Uh, remember what creation reveals, right? Creation reveals God's power and his divine nature. But it is the scriptures that personally reveal God to us. They reveal his salvific intentions in Christ. But with it, with, with the scriptures, we encounter the surplus of meaning from nature. As, uh, so that 
The heavens aren't just declaring the glory of God, uh, namely his power and divine nature, but for us who do know God, or rather are known by God through the scriptures, the heavens declare to us God's care for us. Uh, again, we, we look up at the heavens in tandem with the scriptures, and we begin to encounter more uh, so that we can say with the psalmist, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him. And so the Bible reveals more of the invisible things from what is visible or what can be seen. And so it's no surprise then that scripture would connect nature and God's love to us. Uh, take, for example, Psalm 119, verse 64, the longest chapter in Scripture. Uh, it says this, The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. And then he says, Teach me your statutes. I think uh, what the psalmist realizes is that knowing Scripture, knowing God's divine statutes, transforms our perception of the earth, right? Here's the logic. Uh, the more we know his statutes, the more we know his word, the more we will see that the earth is actually full of God's steadfast love. Scripture unveils God's love from what is visible. So that when we look all around us, we are reminded we can see God's love for us. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, uh, please turn with me to Psalm 136. Psalm 136. I want to spend uh, some time looking at the psalm uh, because it stunningly covers what I'm talking about. Uh, and if you have time to read it and, and reflect, reflect on it, meditate on it uh, this week, I, I really encourage you to do that. It's just really wonderful. So let, him, let me walk us through the psalm and just point out a few things. And, and before I, I start reading, notice what keeps being repeated in the psalm. For his steadfast love endures forever, Right? That's the thing that's repeated over and over and over. It kind of it gets annoying. It's just like he says something for his steadfast love endures forever. So, so what the first three verses tell us, it says, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord Oh, I'm sorry, give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. See, the psalmist wants us to be thankful for who God is uh, because God is good. He's the God of gods. He's the Lord of lords. 
That's identity, right? God in his identity should be praised because of his steadfast love enduring forever for us. Uh, now listen now listen to verses 4 through 9. To him who alone does great wonders for steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night for his steadfast love endures forever. You see, now the psalmist focuses on, on, God's, on God's creative act, on God being the creator. Uh, according to the psalmist, God has created because of his enduring love. That's a scriptural surplus revealed to those who know God, uh, or rather are known by God. That behind the visible things stands a loving God. He keeps all those visible things going and going because of his steadfast love. Now look at verses 10 through 16. So, so far, right, uh, God's steadfast love comes from his identity, and now it's made known through creation. And now look at verse 10 through 16. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt for his steadfast love endures forever and brought Israel out from among them for his steadfast love endures forever. And with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two for his steadfast love endures forever and made Israel pass through the midst of it for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness for his steadfast love endures forever. And so now the psalmist turns his attention from general uh, revelation, from creation to what? Redemption. Redemption. Absolutely. To Israel's redemption. Or we can say he's turned his attention to the new creation. Because Israel's redemption, as the Bible makes clear over and over again, was God's act of new creation. So God's love is made known through his redemptive acts in history. And of course, uh, this act uh, would ultimately take form in his word, his word made flesh. Uh, but here's, here's uh, this all means that the way God reveals his love is very tangible. It takes, uh, it takes physical form because God's love is not 
theoretical. God's love is not mere abstraction. We can't turn his love to just mere information or ideas. God shows his, his love to us through what we can see and through his actions from creation and redemption. Uh, none of those things are theoretical or abstract. They, they, are, um, they are tangible. Um, this is going to be very important as we continue to look at the theme of generosity from scripture, uh, because generosity too is not an abstract idea. Uh, generosity is made, made known to us in time and space. In fact, the whole Bible is about God condescending to us so that we can understand as beings uh, captured in time and space. Uh, I, I like the way Calvin uh, talked about it. Calvin said that the whole Bible is God's baby talk to us. And so what I want to look at now are two fundamental ways uh, by which God reveals his love to us. Uh, scripture tells us that he relates to us as a father and as a husband. Uh, of course, there are other ways he relates to us, uh, many other ways, uh, as an elder brother, uh, as a shepherd, and so on and so forth. But I think these are the two fundamental ones when it comes to God's love for his people. God's love is first and foremost a fatherly kind of love. Uh, this is everywhere in the Bible. Uh, we're told that Israel was God's firstborn son. Um, we read it earlier. Uh, he delivered Israel from Egypt. God chose uh, Israel and treasured him uh, for himself as his children, uh, not for anything in them, but simply because of God's generous love uh, to them. Uh, here's what Moses said to Israel in Deuteronomy 7. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you. You see, Israel became uh, God's children, not because there were, there were so many of them, not because they were so good or impressive, but simply because God loves them. God loves them. That's, that's, that's the underlying reason why God chose them, why God chose to become their father. I can't think of anything more wonderful than for God to be our father. For God to be our father is in and of itself a generous gift. Because adoption is a sheer gift. Uh, because we are not naturally God's children. 
We are not entitled to that position. To that position. Uh, God generously adopts us into his family as he adopted Israel. Uh, so John says, I see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Uh, what's even more is that adoption is a costly gift. It's pricey. Uh, because there is no adoption Apart from God, apart from God's own Son, uh, Paul says He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. We are adopted in Christ. I mean, talk about generosity. Uh, I know I'm jumping the gun here, and we'll spend a few lessons on this in the future. Um. But Jesus is God's ultimate gift to us. God's generosity is all summed up in Christ. All of God's gifts are in and through the Son of God. And so as a father, a scripture tells us of God's tender, loving care for his children. Uh, he is lavishly generous with them. I mean, that's, that's how earthly fathers are. I think generally they are. They are loving and generous with their children. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 7, Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Uh, in Matthew 6, Jesus even connects God's fatherly care to creation. Uh, Jesus addresses his disciples when they were anxious. Uh, he tells them to look at the birds. He says, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And so if God cares for birds, he, uh, how will he not care for those more valuable to him, namely his children? Will he leave you to die in hunger? No, God would not be a loving father if he did that. Even earthly fathers wouldn't let their children starve. And so neither will our Heavenly Father allow us to starve. Uh, I think Anne mentioned this last week. Uh, Jesus then says to see the beautiful lilies on the field. They don't even work to look so beautiful. They don't have to put on their garb. Because God is the one who dresses them. And so... Jesus says, will the Father not provide clothing for you as he provides clothing for the lilies? Uh, Jesus sums it all up in Matthew 6, 31 through 33. He says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? 
For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Um, isn't that super timely? As we continue to be quarantined in our homes, You know, when things are seemingly so uncertain, right? Our health. Somebody want to say something? Anyways, um, I, I think it's, it's really um, timely as we're quarantined when things Seems, uh, seems so uncertain. Our health, our jobs, our country. I mean, being cooped up inside for this long, at this point, even our sanity is uncertain. Um, we need to stop and look to the scriptures, even as we look outside, uh, that we might remember our Heavenly Father's tender care for us. Uh, beloved, your Father hasn't forgotten you. You are of great value to him. And I'll throw this in um, as an aspect of God's tender love for his children. I don't think it's necessarily something we think enough about uh, when we reflect on God's fatherly love. And it's this, uh, God disciplines those whom he loves. Uh, the writer to the Hebrews tells us that it's not pleasant uh, discipline is not pleasant at the moment that we are being disciplined. But I want to argue that that's part of God's tender and loving care for us. He wouldn't love us, right, if he didn't discipline us. Uh, discipline is proof that God, our Father, loves us. Uh, the writer to the Hebrews argues that we aren't really his children if he doesn't discipline us. That's why he says, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And so despite what our hearts are telling us, God's discipline is actually an act of his generous love for us. I wonder how different we would look, you know, when we remember that, when we are being disciplined by the Lord. Uh, let me move on and, and consider the other great image for God's love for us, and it's this. Uh, God is our husband. God is our husband. Uh, again, this is everywhere in the Bible. God says he has married Israel when he delivered them out of Egypt. And the church is called the Bride of Christ, um, as Christ delivered her from the tyranny of sin and death. Uh, by the way, God's fatherly love and his marital love complement each other, because they both point to the same reality, that God generously loves his people. Um, as our husband, God is fiercely faithful to us. Uh, scripture says 
God is deeply committed to us because of his enduring love. But how do we know that? How do we know that God is in, uh, will be deeply committed to us, that he enduringly loves us? How do we know that? Says so. Uh, right. he says so? Yes. Where does he say so? His word and through his son's deeds. Well, how do we know that he's going to be faithful to us? Well, it's because God pledges himself by way of covenant. Uh, he makes a solemn promise to us that he will never break. Uh, listen to this from Ezekiel 16. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Uh, this is why vows are made when people get married. Uh, it's so that our marriages are not based on our circumstances and our feelings, but on a lasting commitment to one another. Remember the Lord's commitment to us um, through the Abrahamic covenant, right? If he fails to take up his end of the bargain, let him be like these animals cut in half, right? That's God's enduring commitment to us that he will never fail to love us, to do us good. So God, uh, God is our faithful husband. Let's see, um, got five minutes. Uh, let me close briefly with this. God's fatherly love and marital love are ultimately about sacrifice. Uh, John tells us of the father's love to the world, right? Uh, a love that cost him what is most precious to him. And so John famously says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's the sacrificial love of the father. Uh, isn't this why God was so pleased with Abraham? Uh, when Abraham trusted God and laid Isaac, his son, on the altar? It was, it was a scandal for God to ask Abraham to give up his beloved son. That's a scandal. Why would God ask of that? But that's exactly what he did for us that we might become his sons and daughters. He gave up his only begotten son for us. Uh, then we see Christ as our, as our faithful husband. Uh, he united himself to us who were, who were adulterers, those who loved idols more than uh, we love God. But how does Jesus unite himself to his bride? Through his covenant. Through his covenant. 
how, how do you, um, how does he make that covenant with us? Jesus. What was that? He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Right. That's his promise. But how does, how does, how does Jesus make a covenant with us? He makes a it won't break through the shedding of his own blood. Yes. Covenants require blood. They require dead. Resurrection. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't that what we're reminded of week after week when we take the Lord's Supper? Right? This is the covenant in my blood. Spirit too. Yeah, he pours out the spirit in our hearts, right? It's good. Um, Jesus united himself to us by dying for us. Um, when he encourages um, husbands to love their wives, because he says, um, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Uh, Jesus is the church's husband and he gave himself up for her that he might put away all of her filth and make her a new creation. You know what that is? That's the sacrificial love of our groom. Where do we see most clearly God's love for us? I'll end with this. Well, it's, it's at the cross. It is there we meet God's fatherly love and Christ's marital love for us. It's the place where the father gave his son and it's the place where the groom gave himself for his bride. Uh, beloved, this morning, let us fix our eyes on the cross. It is there we can find certainty in a time of uncertainty. Because it is there we find God's deepest love expressed to sinners like us. So I want to open it up very quickly uh, to questions, if you have any. All right, um, let's pray then. Oh, Father, um, we thank you for being our lovingly generous God. Thank you that you have called us to yourself at the price of your own son. Uh, we pray for your spirit to be among us this morning as we hear from your holy word. Uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and, and hearts to embrace Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.